0: Another episode of WA Exposé, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Today's guest is a campy, cannibal, horror drag queen based in Brulu. She is passionate about the importance of alternative drag in this post RuPaul world. From this, they built Death of Glitter, a queer horror party. She has been compared to Elvira meets Frankenfurter with a dash of Kath and Kim as well as a predatory lesbian vampire stereotype, which is how she knows she's doing her job. Self-described as the horror hostess with the most S, it's Hemlock. Honey, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm well. How are you? I'm so well.
0: I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I am such a fan. I am such a fan of the creepy weird and all of the ooky gooky spooky. I'm just, I've been a fan of yours for such a hot minute. It is. This is a very good privilege time for me, but enough gushing. I won't do gushing this whole time. Well, I might. I mean, it is me. I'll oh, gush over, I'll my gush over your part. fingernails for a hot second. My goodness, this is great. I always love talking about a visual thing on an audio medium, straight up just being like, hello, look at this. So gorgeous. Is it foil? Uh, yeah, it's a chrome, actually. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. In like purple and green. It's fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk about something people can actually hear and then <laughs> <laughs> rather than then like being envious over the nails for the next hour. Why drag for you?
1: Um... So I feel like this is probably going to sound kind of backwards, but I kind of feel like I've always been edging towards drag. Okay. Despite never seeing myself as a performer. Ah, it's a hindsight perspective? Yeah. I mean, I've always been drawn to the feminine, but particularly the artifice that goes into high feminine mm, presentation. Mm-hmm. So doing a very high femme drag persona makes a lot of sense. When I look back on myself, um, I often joke that I have the the experience of gender policing that I had growing up is probably more akin to the very effeminate cis gay man than it is a cis woman because I was always told off for, like, doing too much. (laughs) You say with the wrists and everything, which is... (laughs) Very, totally, very, very, totally, Cisco vibes, very good. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like particularly as I hit like my teens, it was definitely the rise of the low effort hot girl, mm. the low effort cool girl. If you if they could tell that you were putting effort in your feminine presentation, uh, you were doing it wrong. Yeah, and I just refused to not curate the persona. So. And I tried a few times to be like a tomboy, but it never really worked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I just kept – like I love to curate a look when I go out and I feel like um, that's something that's sort of drifting away from the way people start in drag at the moment, particularly because RuPaul, everyone knows about it. It's a very like viable commercial entertainment. Totally. But um, when you think about it, like, a lot of people who started in drag, they'd start by turning looks in the club. hmm Yeah. And that would be how they explored their persona, what worked for them, what didn't, like, what they felt the best in, and, like, turning those looks. And that was definitely how I came to drag. I mm-hmm. was always just someone looking for an excuse to dress up. <laughs> and it just got more and more extreme, and the eyebrows just started to disappear. <laughs> Um, so that's how I kind of ended up with drag. And then the reason I got on stage was I could kind of see something I both wanted to do and wanted to see that no one was quite doing in the scene at that moment. And I'm like, no one's going to want to be tied to horror drag because it, particularly the girls who are doing it full time, Mm it loses you a whole bunch of monetary opportunities and no shade to them. But, like, the people who want to book a drag queen for their hens do generally don't want the one covered in blood. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Perhaps not. Perhaps not for before the wedding, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Um, I'm sure there are some out there. There will be. They're probably my friends. (laughs) Um, But so I completely understood why none of the queens in the scene really wanted to get pigeonholed in that space, and I'm like, oh, well, screw it. I'll just create a horror drag persona mm. and play in that space, have some fun while doing it, and then that can be the person who sort of drives and fronts what then became, like, the spooky ookie night.
0: Ah, yes, but you obviously, like, still draw on, like, high campery as oh, well. Absolutely. Where do those elements
1: come from? Um, I don't think you can do horror drag without a bit of high camp. Yep. I mean... I love, I just love camp. I mm. love stupidity and just a bit of humour and silliness. Like, Elvira is such a goal for me. Yeah. Um, and, like, Elvira is nothing but camp. Totally, yeah. So, and to me, like, when you think about the history of horror and particularly when you think about the history of horror intersecting with drag, um, like, I would say every one of those, like, TV horror hosts are very much... Like drag personas, mm, mm-hmm. regardless of like how that manifests, like we may not have used those words at those times. But to me, really when you think about it, it's a drag persona that they created and they're acting out. Yeah, And those are all camp. Mm. None of them are serious. If you're taking yourself seriously as a horror host, <laughs> I think you might be doing it wrong. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um, so for me, particularly because when Hemlock became a fully fleshed out character – I was already thinking in the back of my mind, I kind of want to create a night so there's a space for more of this stuff. Ah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, camp's got to be in there.
0: Totally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise how do you even transition from one thing to another? You can't, like, keep an audience at a place like you can always keep them in like in, inquiring and things that maybe are out of their comfort zone but then in between acts especially if you're going to put on an entire night you need to be able to lift them back
1: out of it so then you can dunk them back in it again. Totally and I'll, I'll be honest like as a host camp comes so much more naturally to an ah, MC. yeah being a dead serious MC is quite difficult. I think if you notice a lot of the very serious sort of heartfelt shows often will just get rid of an MC entirely mm. because it it is a really hard needle to thread. Totally, um, Because the most of the tricks in your MC bag are bringing the audience up and getting them excited and mm. making them laugh and loosening them up. And if you're doing a very intense sort of conceptual show from start to finish, it is... Like, it's so hard to thread that needle. Like, what would your MC say? Ah, yes, that was a lovely exploration of death and the themes of heartbreak (laughs) through bodily disfiguration. Like, totally. You can't, like, it just seems redundant.
0: Yes, completely. A lot of, you're right. A lot of those shows have just gotten rid of the MC entirely. And I think I've seen a couple of shows where I've gone, maybe they should get rid of the MC entirely <laughs> to continue to thread that needle. It's a difficult one to do. Yeah, yeah. completely. It's a really hard one to do. Uh, going back a little bit to sort of the initial iterations that you said that you were like turning looks, like playing with drag without like performing it, quote unquote, uh, in the terms of being on the stage. But you were performing drag because that's yeah. what drag is. Um What do you think, like, your difference is between the first iteration of, like, that character and to who they are now?
1: Um, Oh, it's so hard because I feel like when I was turning looks, they were so individual and Mm -hmm. isolated. Like, there was definitely a few that I look back on and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the start of Hemlock's face. Ah. Like um, a lot of my makeup draws from like very classic traditional goth looks like your Susie, your Nina Hagen, like mm. very big eye makeup and particular line shapes that I use. And I think particularly because when it came to turning looks – I have, like, I've gone through so many different styles. Mm. But where I really found myself, I often joke I found myself half in the golf club and half in the gay club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. like, when I, like, so I sort of went away from the golf gay club for a while and I came back to the golf club. And I found, like, within that space it was very easy for me to use that language to sort of turn it up to 10. And it just mm. kept getting bigger and bigger. And then when I went back to the gay club I was, like, well, I want to keep doing this, but I want it to be bigger. Mm, yes. So we just got more and more ridiculous. <laughs> um, Yeah, it was, I mean, I've done, I've worn some ridiculous things out. I will thank um, Oddball for being a huge, like, great, I love a theme party. Yeah. And they did, they threw great theme parties. And I think the thing I loved about it was because everyone was dressing up, you really, like, Did some ridiculous things because you knew you had to compete with all these seamstresses. Totally. I wore nothing but tinsel and a bikini (laughs) for one of them. That's great. I just shredded tinsel all over connections. It was beautiful. Um, I'm sure
0: that they loved you for it as well. Oh,
1: I got (laughs) messages from one of the managers afterwards being like, I found you. (laughs) You're you're still here. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't left. Someone like messaged me. It's like, I have some of you in my handbag. I don't know when that happened. But yeah. So. That's great yeah like having those spaces was probably like the point where it started going from like an over-the-top goth look Mm. to oh no this is something completely different
0: yeah and on that like when you then come to create a night like Death of Glitter and you're doing it in a gay bar you're not doing it in a quote-unquote goth club um what are the elements that you thought were really important to bring from one space into another to create like this almost this like merge point for those two cultures
1: yeah merge is like Merge is exactly what the goal was because I think there was a period (sighs) – We can probably bl- blame Marilyn Manson of all people. But I think I a are blame of- Marilyn for a lot of shit. Oh, so <laughs> many things. But I feel like there was a point where alt culture and goth culture, at least the perception of it, became very broy and very straight.
0: Yes. Yeah. And
1: in my experience, that is so rarely the reality. Mm, the mm-hmm. the goths are a whole bunch of weird nerds who are all kind of a bit gay and gender weird. <laughs> yes. Who are like slightly terrified of approaching each other but like dark, spooky things. <laughs> And I think a lot of them were very scared to come into, like, queer spaces because they felt as if, like, oh, I'm a bit, I'm not rainbows, I'm not happy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that's kind of a lie because they all really like rainbows a little bit. Oh.
0: <laughs> outing a whole community right now (laughs) yeah
1: come at me um but and then the flip side is I do think there were a lot of people in the queer community that really liked like darker stuff but felt like they would be unwelcome Mm. as queer Mm -hmm. people because the music is heavier like gossip and punks look really scary yeah um and because of this like mainstream idea of a very masculine thing so my logic behind the way we brought it was, well, Goths loved the music. Yes. So let's bring the DJs from the Goth club to the gay club.
0: Ah, great place of like point of reference. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then so that'll get more of them out to like support their friends, mm. listen to different tunes. And then I'm like, well, and then I think once you have them in that space, you realise how many songs cross over. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Um, what was it Sweet Dreams by Uni- ah, Eurythmics okay. yeah yes I'm terrible at words for an MC it's fine um that goes off at both the Goff and the Gay Club yes and different versions of it will go off at different places too like yeah. different like
0: renditions of the remixes yeah
1: yeah and there's actually a surprising amount of songs that clash I'm currently working on like a list of what where the Venn diagram intellect. That's so camp in
0: itself, just creating the Venn diagram is just like, that's really funny.
1: Yeah, because you just don't realise like so much of goth music and like that culture is like campy 80s stuff.
0: Yeah. And (laughs) so
1: much of gay culture is campy campy 80s 80s stuff. Yes. Wild. So like it's for me the big thing was I'll bring the music across to the gay club and then I'll bring like a mix of performers from all over the place, but with the pre-ref with the requirement that they bring me something spooky, ooky, something a bit darker, something yeah. the generally the brief I give them is something that you don't think would pop off at Drag Factory. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Something mm. that you're looking for a home for. Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of how that that's kind of how the combo happened because I think once you're in the gay club and you're doing drag, like the camp and all that comes organically. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just by the
0: energy in the space. Absolutely. Yeah. And the persona in the space, like especially because this is a connections show. That's yeah. where it's currently housed at least. Like that already has an energy that comes along with the venue automatically. So Absolutely. you've really got to work quite hard, I think on like being like, yes, we know that the venue comes with X energy and I'm trying to create Y. How do I do that? Mm. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. We with your own performances, when you get like to like do whatever number you want to do in these spaces or in other spaces, what is like your go-to, what are you going to perform?
1: Um, I am a bit of a cinemaphile, so anything that's kind of a reference to either a film or a trope within horror, I do love that. Mm. Um, I think the number I've done the most is my Daughters of Darkness number. Nice. Which is a tribute to, in my opinion, the best 1970s lesbian vampire movie. There are quite a few. There are so many. (laughs) Right? I don't think people realise when I specify this. They're like, oh. What do you mean the best? There's more than one. And I'm like, you have no idea, yeah, my no. friend. <laughs> um, but it's my favourite for sure. Um, so I love playing with that because, again, like I hear a lot of people being like, oh, there's not that much queer media. And I'm like, well, there is. Mm. It's just we don't always look back at the history and recontextualize it the same way that we we might in other spaces, you know? Yeah,
0: completely. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, you talk in your in the intro that we just did that you're searching to create something that exists in a post RuPaul world. Can you sort of describe where the alternative queens obviously from your perspective obviously can't talk for anybody else, but like where you believe they've sort of landed in that post world? Um
1: I think it's really interesting because they're definitely still there, totally. Yeah. and I feel like sometimes RuPaul, like when you watch, like sadly these days I do watch that show. I actually didn't watch RuPaul until after I started drag. Ah, <laughs> cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they're definitely there. Mm. I feel like they're um, it's kind of hard to articulate. I feel like what happens is you have these queens in amateur spaces Mm -hmm. and they get really like some of them are like pop right in and I'm like yes I definitely want to do like this kind of pop like what I've seen in RuPaul and that's great and I'm happy for them Mm. but you have some kids who when they're in the amateur space they really play and they get creative but what happens to them is they're like there's nowhere to go after this because I'm not a marketable commodity okay my trajectory isn't go on drag race get big bookings. It isn't, okay, I'm going to be able to make money doing hands parties and these corporate gigs. Mm. Um, and I think that's really where the post-RuPaul world is failing them. Right. Because, like, in a broader sense, drag is now a very tangible, commod- commodifiable thing. So totally. when producers think about drag, that is the first thing they're thinking about. Yeah. They're not thinking of a more performance artist lens. They're not thinking of, yeah. a like, a more eccentric lens alternative lens Mm.
0: but for once they're thinking of drag which has like is a relatively in the life like like the lifespan of drag is a new thing and you're like that's good we don't love it but it's good
1: yeah look it's really good um but I think the other thing is then these queens because the dominant is this very mainstream Mm. um you don't hear about the people who've come before so um have you heard of a drag performer called christine I have not. Okay. No. So, Christine. oh, I'm Australian probably, drag form? No, US um, US, but quite a large, like they've toured in Perth for Fringe in a solo show. Um, I had the privilege of seeing them when they did. Cool. I want to say they're California based but don't quote me on that because I may <laughs> be wrong. Um, the best way to describe them is a zombie wearing a pillowcase. Amazing. They do a combination of original songs and performance art stuff. I think their song that they're most known for is My Dick Don't Work. Brilliant. Um, my, I had a transcendent experience where I witnessed them enter connections with a balloon floating behind them, which I realised was attached to a butt plug that was inside them.
0: Amazing. They
1: took it out on stage and let it float across the room. And I watched the entire crowd horrified trying to, to like, dodge the balloon. butt plug. And I'm like, God, it's such a shame queens like that are not getting held up too. <laughs> That's
0: really funny.
1: And I just, like, it just makes me sad that we are, uh, like, the post-RuPaul world's great because there's this huge commodity. But because it is a commodifiable, it's kind of when you think about what happened with hip hop, Totally, yes. It's like this very underground space with Mm. a lot of alternative, a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes a very commodifiable, sellable thing and a whole bunch of it starts becoming same-same. Like there are big corporations involved. There's a lot of money backing it. And a lot of the spark sort of starts to drift away. It's almost formulaic, yeah. Yeah, and then little things pop up underneath. But you've got to give those things, the little offshoots that are popping up, space to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how, in a very long, rambly way, (laughs) I feel about what's happening with alternative drag. Mm. Like, they're definitely there and they're sprouting. But I worry sometimes they don't get the space to grow, especially in these smaller scenes. Completely. Um,
0: We're going to go to our little break there, mainly because I need a drink, Uh, because I really want to dive more into our alternative local spaces when we come back. Thank you. (music) Thank you. Uh, before we went to break, we were talking about the alternative uh, drag scene across the country and actually across the world, and how it sort of developed. Mainly, probably. Oh gosh, when was the first Twenty eleven? Two
1: 2009. I actually really? looked it up. It's the same year I graduated high school. Which... Oh
0: wow! Okay, all right. <laughs> I was I was, too, I was you know I was over. So that's Price is right rules. I don't win that. <laughs>
1: I mean, no one cares about like the first season really was a blip on the radar when you think about it. <laughs>
0: this is true, but it is like the it is a turning point for a lot of people, and when we're looking at our local scene, especially if you're and I know I continue to say this and I'll say it again, but the one of the most isolated cities technically in the world, you're very much influenced by what you see on social media and what you see on the internet, so there's definitely been a massive influence here in in Western Australia from all of that stuff. So what are you loving right now that you're seeing in the local drag scene?
1: Um, I feel like there's lots of newbies who are coming up with some really fresh and fun ideas. Mm, And they seem, a lot of them seem quite hungry in a way that makes me really happy. Like they're ambitious. They don't want to just go the same route that has already been pre-laid out for Mm. them. They're willing to try new things and muck around and be a bit more playful. Totally. Um, So yeah, I'm loving seeing that. I'm also just loving the fact that more people are like, oh, I can just do it. I can just do a night. Mm -hmm. And as we're seeing more productions pop up and just like more opportunities for people to have a point of view Mm. and I'm really enjoying that. And like a lot of people who are relatively new in the scene – Getting slots in bigger production shows, which is always really refreshing.
0: Yeah, it's super refreshing. I'm also seeing, like, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but the idea that people can have a persona or a name or a character that they're doing and then change it and it not be a big deal. Mm. Like, I feel like there used to be this over, like, uh, over hyper fixation almost on like creating such a strong brand that you are forever put in the Britney box until you explode. But I think that the current batch of newbies are being like,
1: oh, I don't like that anymore. And I'm just going to change it. And it's no big deal. Mm, Yeah. I'm definitely seeing that. I mean, I do think a part of that does happen like just when you're newer, you've got less, more flexibility um and I guess like oh god am I gonna say one good thing about RuPaul post RuPaul drag race <laughs> is, oh you better <laughs> oh I do feel like um the expectation that you've got to be able to do a lot of things is probably something that has come from that when mm. you think about like um being able to turn different kinds of looks totally. and all that and that's that's beneficial that like these younger queens are seeing that you have to be able to do more than one thing yeah
0: yeah, you can't just be like I do. <laughs> well, I mean that's my favorite thing to do though is just to be like I do one thing, <laughs> but I'm not in drag, so that's fine. I can get away with it. but like I sing. Like, oh, what about? I'm like, no, no, just the one thing. Okay, I'm goodbye now. <laughs>
1: I mean that is my entire brand as a drag performer. Oh really? I you do think so? Wa- I I have just sort of and part of it's because I'm very time poor like <laughs> the reality is to um, like to have the money to produce the show I want to produce I have to work a full-time job. Yeah so, unfortunately yes. Yeah, reality and, of it all, yeah and I am no longer 19 so I don't <laughs> have the energy to do 24 hours and then rock up to work. So you know it's kind of nice that I have my little niche horror pocket and 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 I'll just live there, and no one's pushing me to do anything else because that's my thing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, you have this covered, and we're just going to let you stay there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's fine. Do you think it takes a lot of persistence in a scene to be able to go, like, I'm going to own this corner of it and nobody to question? Because I feel like at the start a lot of people would question that direction. Um... Or you might even just question the direction. You can say no, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think um because it had been a long time since anyone had kind of I think the last person who kind of wanted to carve out A, I do think like horror drag is nothing new. There's mm, a whole reality TV show now dedicated to it. There surely is. Yeah. Um but and like there had been queens in the past who wanted to do horror drag. Mm-hmm. But they also wanted to be able to work full-time on that creative thing and that's often not what you can do. So I I suspect they probably got more pushback than I did because I was coming to this as an older person who was kind of already a little bit known in the scene. I don't know how well, but, like, I was definitely someone that had been around and in the audience so much and Mm. I have very distinctive hair, so I'm quite recognisable. (laughs) Um. So I think me coming into it, there was a little less pushback because people were like, oh, I guess you kind of know what you're doing. Like you've (laughs) been around a bit. You sort of watch stuff um, as opposed to like being a little fresh 19-year-old. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Do you think that it's like really important for people to do, quote-unquote, their time in an audience? Like is that a vital experience?
1: I think so. Mm-hmm. I think being in an audience is a huge thing and not just for your preferred art form. I think it's really important yeah. to be in the audience for a whole bunch of diverse things and draw influences across multiple art forms. Like, I've been in, done my time in the burlesque audience, in the circus audience. Yep. Like, I am out at fringe shows. I've done four a night, some Ugh. nights, like I am notorious for just seeing everything under the sun. I don't do so much comedy, but that's my personal preference. <laughs> um, But I think that's really important because it teaches you what you feel does and doesn't work. Yeah. And it'll give you ideas, especially when you're looking outside of your, your specific field, like, Getting drag queens, getting inspiration from burlesque or vice versa. Like that wouldn't happen if we didn't start going to each other's gigs. Mm. And you can also go look at like, okay, well, this is like a cabaret performer, but there's like hosting in between the singing perhaps. Or there's like costume, there might be costume changes. There Mm. might be lots of different like things. And I think all my favourite performers over the years have been people who sit in a couple of different hats. Like um, I think – the first few years I went to fringe it was back when the Wawa sisters used to be here every oh, year. Iconic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're a very diverse yeah. kind of performer. They like they do circus stuff, they do burlesque stuff, they do comedy. Yes. They like just like raucous. And I'm like, Oh, like I'm getting all these ideas for things I could do. Totally. And I feel like I feel like those are the best kind of performers to see. Mm. they
0: yeah, I completely agree with you. It's like an incredible, like again, you're finding these different merge points that are really important the same way you do with your show that you put on. It's like all of these different merge points everywhere. When I thought of people at the moment are talking about the idea of like finding external sources for inspiration and like that point where it crosses over from being inspiration into just like taking mm. other ideas and stuff, how does that work in the horror space considering that a lot of these iconic characters aren't aren't like copywritten characters, they're just like incredible ideas that have been passed down for ages?
1: yeah um well I think there's like there's first of all I think when you do it it's got to be like you've got to have a point of view totally if you' if your goal is to just exactly replicate something that you've seen before mm. why are you doing it because <laughs> yes. l- there's got to be something new that you want to bring it and sometimes I do think that can be bringing it to a new audience ah, okay so like if your interest is this random, 1970s vampire movie Um <laughs> yes. that no not a lot of people may have heard of like your goal in that number could be taking the essence of that film but bringing it to a new audience mm. that probably haven't really encountered it and then they might be oh that's really interesting and then I post on Instagram that's inspired by this and they go oh I might look that up yeah so that like It may not always be like, a, oh, I've got a completely new rejig of a concept or an aesthetic, but yeah. you have to have a deliberate purpose in why you want to use that idea. Totally. I mean, and
0: it's something really important that you said just then was that when you do post about it and talk about it, you're actively stating like, and it's inspired by X. Like that seems to be a crucial part of it as well.
1: Yeah. In my opinion, if you're getting inspiration from somewhere, like give them props. Mm, like always. it's just, um, I have an actual which involves um, some lovely vagina teeth. Nice. Um, And the concept of how I rigged up that prop, I got from an incredible Eastern States drag queen called Alyssa Evil. Ah, cool. Yeah, because she did a little shop of number, little shop of horror number um, of Feed Me and Mm. was doing the um, Audrey 2 parts, like a mouth between her legs that she lifted up partway through. So funny, yeah. And I remember seeing that on Instagram and being like, oh, my God. Like, that's mind-blowing. And it's such a simple way to rig a puppet. (laughs) Like, oh, my God. So, you know, and I think, like, it's natural in any scene. You, like, take bits and pieces from people and you Mm. learn and you work. But, like, admit that you're not an island. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also great because then you can admit that,
0: like, not even just admit but just sort of explored the idea of being like I am influenced by the world that is around me and, and I mm. and I see people and talk to people and they will consistently influence what I do in this space and I think that that's bringing drag and most performance arts back to that community driven thing which is kind of what they're supposed to be in the first place.
1: Yeah I totally agree I think um yeah like one of the most rewarding things about starting to run a night is that It feels like there are like a little community of people who have popped up around it, like there are... Like after and I remember, I think it was after the third one we did, there was like a couple of girls who were posting on Instagram that they had a photo with our giant light up up coffin from every single night. So good. And it's just like the fact that there are people who like get excited about it and want to be a part of it or like uh, like they maybe run, like there's someone who runs like an oddity market within Perth and they're like, you know, if you ever want to collab, we can work together. And it's just like having that like outreach and that willingness to work together I think is really important. Yes completely.
0: I'm drawn to this because you're wearing um, Frankenstein earrings currently so I'm going to go down this path and I've already been like looking at them being like yeah we got to talk about iconic characters for a hot second. Um, Obviously in lots of scenes like maybe in more of like the pop drag world it's like your pop princesses of the era or like in burlesque it might be like comic cat book characters. We've seen fantastic acts inspired by Disney princesses and Star Wars and all of that great stuff. When you're in the space of alternative drag and you have these characters that have been done to death is like the way I want to say it but it's got to be a nicer way to put it than that I mean that's (laughs) very appropriate given it's horror (laughs) given that it's horror yeah they have but they have been done to death and not even just reiterated by other performances but reiterated in in film and in song and in cartoon and in live action and in so many different ways how do you take one of these iconic characters that you know Mary Shelley just scribbled down in a notepad somewhere and go like I am going to make this my own there must be a really tough hill to start climbing
1: yeah it totally is and I think like there's two ways you can approach it like um there's definitely I want to do something completely unique Mm. but there can also be like okay what is the like version of this character that spoke to me the most right and what about it spoke to me the Mm. most and how can I take that and bring it to the people that I care about? Mm. Or is there like, particularly because we drag, you're working with music a lot, is there something like a song that is not directly connected to, Mm. but it feels like it could connect to this character? And like, how does that change the way I think about this character or interpret it? Ah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I think there's lots of different ways to come at it. I feel like, like when you think about it, Frankenstein has been, as a great example, has been done to death. It was already kind of done to death by the time Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> came along. Yeah, but Bride of Frankenstein is this incredible film that, in itself, created another iconic image and another iconic character. Mm. And then even when you think about the image of Frankenstein, so the bolt in the neck, like that was never in the novel. Yeah, That was something yeah. solely from a particular set of films that then ingrained. So you're like, okay, what happens when I take away that particular thing? Like, yeah. how do I interpret this character now? Like, And
0: what are the elements of the character do people need yeah. in order to identify with it still? Yeah, because even though, like you said, it wasn't written down in the original script for it, it's like, but do enough people identify with it that if I took it away, mm. have we lost something?
1: Yeah, Or do you play with that loss of something that's exactly. even interesting to me? My biggest gripe is always with Dracula because mm. I love the <laughs> lost reincarnated love tacked on story <laughs> that we got with Bram Stoker's Dracula and mm. has lived with it ever since yeah. because I, I have strong opinions about the novel Dracula <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I love that. Um, and like I always think about I kind of want to do like a – like a Dracula number that somehow like plays with that particular thing I still Mm. haven't worked out how to execute it in a drag number except for me standing up there doing a spoken word bitching about it (laughs) but um we'd love to see it (laughs) who knows maybe it'll happen like that but like I just like there's so much that you can play with in that space yes completely there's
0: There's so much you can play with in lots of space and I really love you talking about like the way that you approach different characters and that you see these different things. Going back just a little more broadly Mm -hmm. to the Perth scene, Mm. what would we love to see improved in our local art scene to sort of make it a a little bit of a better place, artistically, socially, however you want to approach it?
1: Um, I would love to see... It always feels a bit shady when I say this, but I feel like <laughs> recently, particularly in the drag scene because it is so it is becoming increasingly mainstream, mainstream. I feel like some of the risks people are less willing to take risks on those bigger stages. Ah, can you expand on that a little? Um yeah, I guess for me like um I feel like because there are so many people in the crowd for a drag audience mm. now, we're like, okay, well, it needs to be an all ages number. Right. But it's at a nightclub. <laughs> at 2 a.m. <laughs> at 2 a.m. Yeah. And this could also go down at like your local pub at 6 a.m. Mm. And uh, sorry, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. I knew what you meant. Yeah. But I'm glad you said it
0: because I'm not the only one listening at my. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's just kind of like, I feel like, and like, I'm glad that sort of stuff that's very approachable exists. And I'm so glad, but I don't want that to be the only thing existing in drag. Mm. I would love to see like, particularly these organizations and producers that have a lot of money behind them that, you know, they're doing, they've got their fingers in a lot of pies. So like taking one risk isn't going to yeah. end their production company Totally. whereas because I feel like the people who are taking the risks are the very small production companies the one <laughs> funding person, it out of their day job like you were just saying yeah, yeah and so I'd love to see more willingness to sort of like try something a bit different do something a bit like oh maybe we like run on that edge
0: mm, yes that would be really cool um how how do we do that which you don't have to have an answer for. That's just the first thing that I thought of. Like what would be the best way to approach that? Is it just sort of allowing people – because I also respect that the reason people are trying to be more commercial has got a lot to do with like the awful political crap that's happening around the world as well. So people are are sort of – taking a little bit of a step back from that edge if that edge was like a, a sexual edge or if that edge was like a gore-based edge or a kink edge all of those different things people are sort of taking that little step away from it because of
1: mm. all the
0: gross stuff happening all around the world right now um so I don't actually have an answer to my question which was how
1: <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't know <laughs> I mean I, I can definitely see why it's happening and like mm. you said I think it is a lot of like this fear of like maybe if we're on our best behaviour they yeah, they'll won't like come us, after yeah. us but like that's never been true no <laughs> like unfortunately I, that's not how it works I would say like drag at the moment is the most like family friendly it's mm. ever really been and now they're coming after us yeah <laughs> um so I feel like I feel like the thing you've got to accept is that you're never going to be okay for everyone. Yes, of course. And like don't expect to be – everything for everyone I'm never going to do an all-ages show mm. like yeah. and that's fine it's
0: totally fine yeah there are plenty of people who aren't <laughs> exactly <laughs> under
1: exactly and my other thing is like there are other people who were doing all-ages shows yeah and I'm so glad they're out there and doing that mm-hmm. that's not for me yeah and I think that's probably the way we bring that edge back is by accepting that not everything has to be for everyone
0: totally yeah and like I guess a bit of that experimentation like especially you were saying at the beginning of our like of different drag performers careers you can experiment being like I like this I don't like this I like this I'm gonna do this now and when you do figure it out it's okay if you go oh but no I can't actually do that yeah yeah you know what I can't lip sync to a Beyonce number and that's okay it's just not in my wheelhouse like that's totally fine totally (laughs) fine
1: it's okay if you're not a commercial dancer Mm -hmm. you can be a drag queen and not be a commercial dancer you may not be in one of barbie's production shows because the way she produces are for commercial dancers yes totally but that's fine like there will be other avenues for you to have a career
0: yeah plenty, plenty of other avenues you do not have to be able to do the splits exactly. Oh, controversy. No.
1: I mean, I, I, you knew. Before drag, I come from a pole community. So you do need to have to do the splits from that. Um, from personal experience, it's quite hard to not.
0: That's fine. You, I'm just saying that to me, Aria, you don't have to be able to do the splits, okay?
1: No, you don't. Honestly, actually, I take that back. You can also do pole and not do the splits. Oh, I, that I didn't know. Yeah. That yeah. is a that is a new fact. I'm learning things today. Yeah, <laughs> You can. You may not win all the cons <laughs> because they're crazy but you know <laughs> I think that's the sort of the way we need to say all of it It's like, yeah you can do that will it
0: be uh, what people are looking for immediately maybe not will it be the thing that people are looking for later yeah and it's fine
1: yeah um actually that reminds me of a really good antidote on that store. on that note and it comes from when I was in the poll world I had a friend who would tell me Like, you've got to remember the people in the audience are not the people on stage. So Uh, when you're on stage and you're competing and, like, you know, you're used to being with all these incredible dancers who can do all these incredible things, Mm. but the people in the audience are not. She was like, my husband has seen, because she'd been dancing for, like, almost 10 years at that point. She's like, my husband has been to every single comp I've been in. Mm. He has seen some of the best dancers in Australia mm. on that stage. His favorite part is the hair flicks. He tries oh. to take photos of them. Oh, it I is, love that. It is his favorite move in all the pole, the hair flicks. That's great. And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Because like, he's not there while we're trying to get like crazy moves like spatchcocks where we're like rotisserie chickening ourselves yeah completely like that means nothing to him
0: most of the time people are attracted to the art form as a whole and that could be like lots of different things not just what the most technical move is in any of them yeah
1: it's the hair flicks most of the time yeah (laughs) that's great oh we love a hair flick what's the hair flick of drag Probably a hair, a hair flick. flick. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's across burlesque, drag, dance, hair flicks, hair everyone.
0: Flicks. Do more hair flicks. <laughs> and on the do more hair flicks, we're actually coming to the end of the show, unfortunately. So
1: let everyone know where they can find you. Um, you can find me on Instagram under Mix Hemlock Honey. Um, and you can find my show, Death of Glitter, on Instagram under Death of Glitter. And from there, you can find everything else. <laughs> yeah, too easy. If
0: you're looking at your podcast screen, right now, I'm going to tell people how to do this again. Go to the show notes. The show notes are exactly where you're looking right now. The description under them. That's yep. You found it. Good job. That's where the links are to everything that Amlock just said. They're really easy to find. That's the question I get all the time. They're always like, you said that it would be in the show notes. Where are the show notes? Like in the in the app. I write them every time. But there you go. You found them. I'm really proud of you. Good job. And as always, congratulations, everyone. Good job, everyone. Good. That's good. And as always, if you like this episode, you can like, rate, subscribe on whatever app you're listening to us right now, or you can send us a question to waexposapod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you so much for joining me Thank today. Thank you so much for having me. WA Exposé is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlet and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlet.com forward slash WA Exposé. In theory, because otherwise I would have to be in control and that would be weird.
1: Yeah, terrifying.
0: <laughs> what would I do with that power? Nothing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,